Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I think in some respects, the situation for Georgia at running back is almost exactly the way that he would expect it to be for UGA, but also maybe diving deeper, a little different than maybe some people have imagined about this position for Georgia upcoming this season. We're going to talk about that right now as a continuation of what we've been doing here over the course of the last few days. What we said on the heels of last week's NFL draft was it seems fairly obvious there's a strong correlation right now between the teams that win national championships and also the teams that produce the most first round draft picks. Georgia obviously produced a lot of draft picks overall, set a program record with nine last weekend, but maybe could do more in terms of producing those Thursday night picks, those first round picks, as a way of really giving itself the best chance of winning a national championship. Now, the great news from a Georgia perspective, and if you're you know longtime plugged in UGA fan, you would certainly expect this to be true, is there are pretend- plenty of potential candidates on the current roster to maybe be that for next year. And as a lot of these early mock drafts come out, you already start to see a lot of Georgia names sprinkled in. It's probably fair to say that no Georgia player shows up on all the mock drafts, but uh, a handful of Georgia players at least show up on some of them. There are plenty of candidates who could be first-round picks for Georgia in 2022 and could help Georgia along the way to hopefully winning a national championship in 2021. So what we've done over the last couple of days is look at a couple of position groups in particular. We started with quarterback, always a good position to start with. And while JT Daniels, Georgia starting quarterback, isn't a probably shoe-in lock to be a first-round pick this uh, upcoming year. There are some mock drafts that are already out that don't have him listed in the first round. He clearly is a prime candidate to have a big season and do so, and it's not hard to imagine how he could get there. FoxSports.com, after all, had him as like the number one overall pick. Opinions vary on this kind of stuff. The one thing we said for Daniels is, is that if you want to take that next step and you know move your way into the uh, first round discussion the one thing that Daniels probably needs to do more of in comparison to other quarterbacks who've been first round type guys who've been Heisman finalists who put their team in the playoff conversation he probably needs to throw more touchdowns that kind of makes sense you can go a long way as a quarterback by taking what the defense gives you but at a certain point in time the best quarterbacks also find a way to take what the defense is trying not to give them and that's what leads to touchdowns and that's kind of the next step for JT Daniels we'll see if he takes that Uh, Yesterday, we talked about the wide receiver position. What we said was, you know, if George Pickens is healthy and playing, that's an obvious name that you could clearly pencil in as a, you know, likely first round pick. And it comes easy to imagine that taking place. The Pickens situation, though, is clouded by injury right now. And so with Pickens kind of, at least for the sake of conversation, pushed to the side for the moment, who are those other guys that could emerge? You probably need two of them at least. That's what recent national champions have kind of had. And what I said was yesterday is I'm not quite so sure who those two names are going to be, but I am glad there are a lot of candidates on the Georgia roster to potentially be there. It's easy to maybe say Jermaine Burton. He showed you some flashes last year. It's certainly hopeful to say guys like Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint, and Dominic Blaylock coming back from injury, and we'll see how that goes. Then you get to like the Demetrius Roberts 
Johnsons, the Adani Mitchells, and, you know, the actual recruiting rankings of the Georgia receivers right now actually fares pretty well, even to the very best programs in college football, maybe better than some fans realize. So we don't quite know who the guys who could emerge are going to be, but there are certainly plenty of names who, who kind of stand as a possibility there to give Georgia the kind of wide receiver situation that recent national champions have had, very active on the first round of the NFL draft with those kinds of names. Now, with all that said, let's move on to the next position group here. Let's talk running back here for a moment. Now, when it comes to the first round of the NFL draft as a possible prediction for you know who's going to win a national championship, this all gets really interesting, and many of you are very well aware of this. When I was a kid growing up, running back was kind of the glamour position in football. It was certainly the glamour position in college football. You know, the biggest names in the sport seem to be running backs. That's not really the case as much anymore. If you look at the last three NFL drafts, which has commonly been what we've been doing as we've been going through this discussion over the last few days, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty good snapshot of just what football has become. There have only been four running backs taken in the first round of the last three NFL drafts. You may be aware of that. What you may also be aware of is is that while the running back spot is becoming less vogue with these first-round selections, the four running backs that have been taken in the first round of the last three years were all running backs that won a national championship during their time at college. So overall, running back is less a part of the first round of the NFL draft than it used to be. But the running backs who do seem to find their way into the first round of the NFL draft the running backs that do seem to have their name called there are also running backs that seem to have played a hand in leading their team to a national championship in some form or fashion as well. And I think that's kind of interesting. Now, I've already gotten a couple of tweets from you kind of thinking that the running back spot was going to come up today. It was mentioned to me that when you see a lot of these discussions about first round picks for Georgia, the names that you don't see coming up right now are the names of uh, are the names of the Georgia running backs, guys like James Cook and Zamir White, guys who are draft eligible for this upcoming season. You don't really see their names showing up in the early mock drafts in the first round. For instance, there was a long list at Athlon Sports of potential SEC names who could be taken in the first round of the NFL draft, and Zamir White, James Cook, their names were nowhere to be found on this discussion. So you might be left to say. Well, I guess that means that the Georgia running back spot is not necessarily going to be a strong contributor to the national championship formula for Georgia this year, just given the fact that we've talked so much about first-round picks being kind of, kind of a precursor to all of this. And I understand where you're coming from on that, and I don't want to sugarcoat it. It is true that right now that White and Cook don't seem to be in the same category. Uh, you know, Kendall Milton, Younger, Kenny McIntosh, Younger, Dejon Edwards, Younger guys, kind of in that same vein. They don't seem to be in the same category right now of the very best running backs we've talked about the last couple of years. But that doesn't mean that couldn't change here this upcoming season because on the one hand, while I want to be realistic and tell you the truth about what's being said out there, I also want to give you some hope and some optimism as well. And frankly, I don't think you have to reach very far to find this. So let me kind of run through this here a little bit. I have five reasons that why even though guys like Zamir White, James Cook don't show up in early mock drafts as potential first-round picks for 2022 right now, there is still a chance that the Georgia running back situation overall that includes White and Cook could still be very much a part of the national championship formula. I'm going to try to run through these five here fairly quick here, but these are the five reasons that Georgia fans ought to be optimistic about the running backs here this year for Georgia. Let me start with this. By virtue of recruiting rankings, if you take the 24-7 sports 
Sports composite player rating for each of the Georgia running backs. And if you add it together, Georgia actually has, by basis of recruiting ranking, the most talented running back room in the entire country. So if Georgia has a problem with the running back spot right now, then pretty much everybody else has the same problem because, at least on the basis of recruiting rankings, no one has collected a more talented running back room than what uh, Georgia has. And obviously we'll have more on that coming up in a moment. So that's your first reason to be optimistic about Georgia running back. From a sheer talent perspective, as measured by recruiting rankings, uh, Georgia's got the number one room in the entire country. Here's the second thing. Let's look at Zamir White in particular on this. There's this belief out there, and you kind of understand where some of this comes from a little bit, that Zamir, while a very good running back, maybe somewhat still kind of dealing with a couple of knee injuries that he's dealt with and maybe less explosive than some recent Georgia running backs have been, especially if you compare him to the greats like Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle, that maybe Zamir White is a little less explosive than those guys. And one of the things that gets kind of pointed out here is the average yards per carry, as a for instance on this, a way in which Zamir White maybe not quite as explosive as some recent Georgia running backs have been, and that's all all fair. We'll add that into this discussion here. But let me give you room for optimism on this. That White, who last year averaged 5.41 yards per carry on his way to 779 yards, you know that Najee Harris last year for Alabama only averaged 5.84 yards per carry on his way to 1,466 yards rushing. He was a first-round pick, but on a yards per carry basis, he really didn't tote the rock much better than what Zamir White did. What ended up happening is, because Alabama had these big leads in the fourth quarter, things like that, all of a sudden, Najee just got a lot more carries. He had a uh, 251 carries last year to Zamir White's 144. But if you're concerned about Zamir White because his yards per carry number last year was a little smaller, a little lesser than some Georgia running backs have been in recent years, the fact of the matter is Najee Harris was only slightly better a number than that, and he still used that yards per carry mark to the tune of nearly 1,500 yards rushing. So that's the second reason to feel optimistic about the Georgia running back situation here this year. Here's reason number three. When you see these running backs that are taken in the first round, guys like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Travis Etienne from Clemson, one of the things you see is, in addition to being really good running backs, of course, they are also dynamic weapons in the passing game there as well. And I'd say overall, even though we saw a lot more of this at G-Day, overall, that's not really thought to be the hallmark of the Georgia running backs necessarily. James Cook a, a little bit. We'll have more on that in, in just a bit. But the overall profile of the Georgia running back room is, is not necessarily seasoned pass catchers, at least as of yet. But here's another reason for optimism for these Georgia running backs through the season. While uh, Travis Etienne became a big part of the Clemson passing offense in 2019 and 2020, the most recent season, if you want to go back to the year in which Etienne was a part of the national championship at Clemson in 2018, he ran the ball for nearly 1,700 yards, 1,658 to be specific, but only had 78 receiving yards there that year. You can still be a big-time running back and a big-time contributor to a national championship team and maybe even eventually a first-round pick by doing a lot more running than passing right now. Yes, NFL teams are still looking for that passing attack, but Etienne in 2018 was a huge part of the national championship formula for the Tigers, and he was not really yet a passing game threat there when it comes to that. Here's the fourth reason that you can be optimistic about the Georgia running game here for this upcoming year. While you look at the overall stats for you know Zamir White and James Cook and Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton, it uh, you add Dejon Edwards in that discussion there as well. It would 
seem to be obvious that we haven't quite yet seen that superstar emerge onto the scene yet. That that household name that everybody in college football kind of knows about. And because it did not happen in 2020, you may be left to assume, well, the same thing's going to happen in 2021 there as well. And this Georgia running back room may just not quite have a superstar either season. That's certainly a possibility that might be the case. But let's look at another running back who's been taken in the first round of the NFL draft here over the course of the last couple of years. Let's look at Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who was taken in the first round of the 2020 NFL draft. Obviously, the year that put him in that discussion was his final year at LSU in 2019, where he goes like 1,414 yards rushing, was also a big part of the passing game and everything like that. But the idea that Clyde Edwards Hilaire was a first-round level running back and the kind of guy that everybody in college football knew about, the idea that would be true in 2019 based on what he did in 2018, I'm sorry, no one would have been talking about that. Edwards Hilaire for LSU in 2018 only had 658 yards rushing, less than some of the Georgia running backs that we're talking about here right now. He emerged as a first-round candidate and a contributor to a national championship based on what he did in his final season at LSU. And obviously, I would never guarantee the same thing is going to happen for one of these Georgia running backs right now, but but uh, I would certainly suggest it is a possibility based on the way that, that Edwards Hilaire exploded once he started playing and a better offense all the way around. Then finally, there's this. Let's say that Georgia doesn't have a superstar emerge, the way that Etienne was from the word go at his time at Clemson, the way that Najee Harris grew into that role for Alabama, finally culminating what he did in 2020, and Edwards Hilaire, who I just mentioned right now. Let's say that doesn't happen for Georgia. And they don't quite have that same superstar level of running back, the kind of guys that we've seen in this program over the course of the last few years. Even that is not necessarily the end of the discussion for Georgia having a running game that contributes to the national championship formula. If you were to go back to 2017, as a for instance, that was the year in which Josh Jacobs was a part of the Alabama roster. He was a uh, first-round pick a couple years after that. Uh, that running game didn't really have much of a superstar there either. Damian Harris was a 1,000-yard rusher, but he had like a 1,000 on the nose. Not the big, huge totals the way we're talking about right now. And you know, beyond that, it was Bo Scarborough contributing a little bit. It was uh, Najee Harris as a freshman contributing a little bit. Josh Jacobs as a sophomore, not quite yet the first-round pick that he would become. They also had Jalen Hurts running the ball a lot that year, but we'll subtract that out of this discussion because that's not really what Georgia brings to the table for this upcoming season. But as recently as 2017, we see a national championship running game that was powered by an eventual first-round pick in kind of a supporting role, but a lot of other guys in kind of a complementary role adding together to equal something that was pretty potent. So here's the bottom line on this entire discussion. I don't yet know how good the Georgia running game is going to appear and how much this will look like what Alabama did when it rushed the football in 2020, LSU the year before that, the national championship team of Clemson the year before that. But I think there are at least five reasons, there may be 10, but there are at least five reasons to be optimistic about the Georgia rushing attack for uh, this upcoming season, that a group that was pretty good a year ago might take an even bigger step here in 2021 because they're playing an offense that's a lot more potent all the way around. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Meriwether and Tharp, and glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, and as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com, we are just really happy to have you a part of the program today, and we extend a huge, huge debt of gratitude to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp, for making it all possible. You know, Meriwether and Tharp's your source for Georgia divorce. What that means is they've been through situations like this thousands of times before. They know 
the backstory, the intricacies of the law, the 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 experiences related to all of this, and more important than that, they also know how it feels to go through this. Because for you, there are feelings attached to this, right? And they're not all positive. We certainly understand that. And Meriwether and Tharp understands that there as well. So, so sensitive to your feelings as you go through this, but armed with the knowledge that you need to make it the best for you, to to win through this process and, and be made whole again with your finances and your relationship with your family and children and everything else that goes along with that. That is what Meriwether and Tharp does for you. In, in fact, so much of this is done before you even make the decision to put them to work for you. They're going to offer you a free initial consultation. They'll give you a free blog post and podcasts that I think can be you know of service because it kind of helps inform you about the questions that you should ask when you get involved in a discussion like this. So please make sure you check them out today. It's the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. It's the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. Nah, it'll get you in touch with Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia Divorce. Love Bob and Ashley Tharp and the whole Meriwether and Tharp team. A lot of dog fans there, a lot of folks who have uh, been good friends of ours here, Dog Nation, for a long time. So please make sure you check them out. All right, it is uh, Terrence Edwards coming up in a couple of minutes. We'll also, before we're done here today, announce our latest Kroger five-star mom giveaway. This is going to be a really fun one today. We'll do that coming up a little bit. Before that, though, let's go around the doghouse. And I want to keep the running back conversation going here for a moment because a couple of weeks ago on the show, we were very lucky to have Robert Edwards. And we'll have Terrence, uh, Robert's brother here in a moment. But we had Robert Edwards in the show a couple of weeks ago. And if you kind of want to know what a former great running back, and by the way, go back and look at the numbers that Robert Edwards put up as a as a rookie for the New England Patriots. Uh, this was a guy, you know, prior to a, obviously what was a just an awful injury story, was a terrific running back. And we'll kind of go down, and, and we need to make sure we do our part to remember just how good of a back that Robert was during his career, both at Georgia and, you know, as a rookie there in the NFL. But the point is, Robert, who got a chance to watch practice and got a chance to see these running backs closely, if you don't believe what I just said, that there are reasons for optimism that this group can be a part of a national championship formula for UG here this year, a guy who knows the position well told us in Dog Nation Daily a couple of weeks ago that he sees a lot of talent when he looks at that Georgia running back room. you got Demir White, who's going to be that bell cow type of running back. Then you got James Cook, who can also run in between the tackles, but he's more effective outside the box. And then you got Kendall Mental, who's a kind of a, a combination of both of those guys. I mean, they got a loaded backfield. Yeah, so loaded backfield all the way around. But there was something else that Edward said in particular when he joined the show a couple of weeks ago that I think it's important to point out here, is that for an offensive coordinator like – Todd Monken, who we think can do some big things for Georgia here in year two, a guy that's got a lot of creativity. One of the weapons in that running back room that maybe the country doesn't know enough about right now, but maybe could find out a lot more about is a guy like James Cook. As we said before, you look at, you know, Travis Etienne, the way that he became a you know passing game weapon for Clemson. Certainly Clyde Edwards Hilaire was doing that there as well. The way these guys did that. You know, one of the guys that you think, you know, might have a chance to do some of that for Georgia in this running back conversation is a guy like James Cook, probably the most polished receiver of the Georgia running back room right now. And this is good stuff from Robert Edwards talking about the ways in which he thinks that Cook can be used. Let's take a listen to this. I think you got to ride the hot head. The hot head's going to be that guy who feel like I want to outplay my teammate who sits in the room with me. So I think it's going to be a lot of 20 personnel. I think they're going to utilize these guys' talent. I think you're going to see a lot of Zamir and James Cook on the field at the same time. Maybe one of them go in motion that takes the linebacker out of the box and try to get one-on-one matchup mismatches. Cook's a mismatch for a linebacker yeah. uh, anywhere on the field. So listen, I think that's a really well-said thing. Uh, a mismatch is James Cook possibly on the field 
with other Georgia running backs at the same time, as Edwards calls it, the 20 personnel there. That is a fun thing to uh, be able to think about. Really good stuff from Robert Edwards. We're going to get Robert's brother Terrence here coming up in just a moment. Before that, though, I want to talk to you about a really brand new sponsor that we're welcoming into a Dog Nation Day here today. And this is one that I'm really, really excited about. You know, this time of year, you spend a lot of time outside and you want a beverage that kind of goes along with that. Well, that's what I found in the long drink. And I want to make sure that you know all about this. This is a drink that comes from Finland. It comes ready to drink. You just pull it out, open the can, and you're ready to go. It tastes great. There are all kinds of uh, great you know, f- you know, flavors and varieties of the long drink. This is something that was uh, founded in Finland back in 1952 when the Summer Games were in Helsinki and then came to the United States, New York. I think it was 2018 when it first came here. I've kind of heard about this word of mouth over the course of the uh, last few months. It's a big deal in the bars in Athens right now. Everybody seems to be loving that there. Also, a lot of the golf courses in and around where I live, people seem to be really enjoying that there. As I said before, it's great, great flavor. There are a lot of varieties. The uh, traditional is the one that I like. It's got like, like a citrus flavor with a pretty nice little uh, liquor kick going on with that there. As, as I said before, you just pull it out, open the can, it's ready to drink, you're ready to go. They also have a, a long drink zero option there as well. They have the strong option, uh, which uh, includes 8.5% alcohol by volume, which is a really cool thing, and the uh, the cranberry uh, version there as well, which you know a lot of those students over there in UGA are, are really enjoying there as well. So lots of different varieties, really, really good stuff. If you have not tried this yet, this is a great time of year to be trying that, and a great, great, great way to enjoy the spring and the summer and everything else that's going on with that. So let me give you a website to go to so you can learn more about this. Find out where you can pick it up. It is available kind of all over the place right now, but you want to educate yourself about where this is available. Uh, It's thelongdrink.com. That's thelongdrink.com. It comes from Finland. It's been here in the States for a couple of years, and now it's here in the state of Georgia all over the place. So try this. I think you'll like it as much as I do, whether you go with the the original, with the citrus flavor, the cranberry flavor, or the 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 long drink zero whatever your choice your option is the one you think you'd like the best i promise you're going to really enjoy as we head to through the spring and summer years so check out the longdrink.com for a lot more on that the longdrink.com uh this is going to be a good good time here this summer drinking a bunch of long drink that's going to be a lot of fun all right it's Kroger Five Star Mom before we're done here today. Also, very bold talk about one of the, from one of the SEC coaches about uh, Alabama coach Nick Saban. This is fun before we're done here today, too. But for now, on everything going on with UGA, let's talk to the great former Georgia wide receiver, Terrence Edwards, here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Glad to have you with us as well. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, say hello to Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Glad to have uh, him with us. And, of course, as I said before, all of you with us there as well. Uh, Terrence, thanks for being on the show. Hope you're doing well today, and I certainly appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. So one of the things we've been doing the show a lot this last little bit is talking about some of these Georgia guys from the 2021 roster who could be, you know, big names for the 2022 NFL draft. But before we get there on that, the last time we talked to you, the draft had not yet occurred. We talked to you a week ago, and then the uh, first round began that night. So looking back on the nine Bulldogs that were selected, what's your impression of the Georgia guys that now move on to the next level? What was your big takeaway from the draft? Uh, I, I think uh, Aziz going in the second round uh, was a little shocking to me. I think I read where some of his medical got flagged, and maybe that was the reason he dropped to the second round. But, you know, I, I just think for all these guys, it doesn't matter where you get drafted. It's, it's a dream come true. I think all these guys have been playing football all their lives and dreaming about 
when your name get called for the NFL draft, and now it doesn't matter where you got drafted. Now you have to go and put in the work and uh, live out this dream. And and I just I don't think those guys uh, think by just getting drafted they made it. I think they're going to try to go in and make an impact because I think that's how Kirby coaches his guys to think. Yeah, I think that's uh, exactly right. And, you know, my takeaway from watching this, you mentioned Ojolari, and you think about some of these other guys there as well, it almost seems like, and this is probably a little bit of an oversimplification, but it almost seems like that you can be doubted as a player by a scout and still be fine. But if you have any doubts whatsoever that creep in from the medical guys, the doctors, the you know things like that, that can really be a hard thing to overcome in this pre-draft process. That it's almost better to be criticized for your on-field abilities as a player than it is to be criticized for your current health situation. It just seems like NFL teams get really scared away by that kind of some of that kind of stuff. Oh, most definitely. I can remember when I was coming out um, and I had my shoulder injury. If you remember, I missed yeah. the Auburn game because I popped my shoulder out of place. So I had to go back to medical rechecks, man. They pull and pry, and, and they do all the things just because they're going to invest this type of money in you. You can't be damaged good. So you got to go in and with a clean bill of health, and if not, you will get red flagged and move down the draft board because of your prior injury. So, uh, you know, that's, that's part of it, and that's part of football. So let me be selfish here for a moment. I'll totally acknowledge this is a selfish question. For someone like George Pickens, who's obviously coming back from an ACL injury, on the one hand, some people might say, hey, why risk further injury by coming back and playing? But on the other hand, there's this thought of, well, if you've got doubters because of your injury status, maybe you should come back and show folks how healthy you are. Now, Terrence, once again, I'm obviously saying that because I want Pickens to come back and help Georgia here this year, and certainly he needs to do what's right for him. But is there a like a reasonable line of thought that maybe coming back and proving that you are healthy helps kind of shut up some of these doubters who may be asking questions about an injured knee? Well, let me take this question from a player perspective. And now I'm a fan uh, and a fan perspective as a player. uh, If this was like my brother or someone that I'm close to, I would definitely reevaluate the situation just to see how his knee feels in early August, if it's not 100% and you have a first-round grade, which I think you probably will have a first or second-round grade, I love my Bulldogs, I love my brothers, and most guys in that locker room would tell him to hold out, sit out, go make your money. Yep. Go, this is something you've been dreaming about all your life. I know that's something the fans don't want to hear. As a fan now, I don't want to hear it because uh, I want the best players on on the field. But just from a player perspective, I just think everyone got to re- realize this is something – that uh, can cost them money, and I know fans don't want to hear that part. It's about the Georgia Bulldogs, but at the end of the day, it's about uh, he's a brand. He has to look out for himself. He has to look out from his family situation. Sure. So from that perspective, I probably, just depending on what my need looks like, I probably wouldn't play. Uh, I would try. Me, personally, I would try my best to play because I just love football that much, but I can understand if he sat out for the remainder of the season. But from a fan perspective and from – like you said, I would love to see him get back and try to help the Bulldogs uh, capture that first national championship in 30-plus years. So, uh, two different perspectives, but neither one is wrong. But I would tend to lean more on the player perspective because I was a player. I think you're. Ex- I mean, I think everything you're saying there is 100% fair, and I'm glad that you did take that 
as the perspective of a player because that is the kind of thing that we do need to hear on, on this show in situations like that. One of the things we've talked about over the course of the last few days is, hey, you know, these national champions are producing half dozen first round picks. These are th- these are programs that are loaded with future NFL stars, and we're looking at the 2022 draft off the 2021 Georgia roster of who might get there. And there's you know plenty of names that that could potentially emerge, you know, off this team. One of the names you start with is uh, Georgia quarterback JT Daniels. And Terrence, the one thing I've said about Daniels is, okay, so if he's going to be a quarterback on the par with what a Trevor Lawrence has been or what a Justin Fields was for Ohio State or what a, you know, Joe Burrow, I mean, was at LSU in you know, 2019, Mac Jones there as well. You know, the completion percentage looks great. The yards per attempt number looks good. The the total passing yards, if you want to project the full season for, for Daniels on the base of what he did for four games a year ago, that looks really strong there as well if you want to make that projection. The one thing you probably need to see a little bit more from Daniels, I would say, is those big touchdown, you know, numbers. You know, these these guys I just mentioned before throwing 40-something touchdowns in a season, Burrow through 60 for LSU, that finding a way to get to the end zone to take what the defense is not trying to give to you that's probably the next threshold for Daniels would you agree with that and how do you evaluate him in comparison to the first round quarterbacks we've seen here over the course of the last couple of years um I mean you just think about those guys from uh Joe Burrow so let's just take him as an example because I think both of their situations are kind of it's kind of mirroring each other uh, if Joe Burrow would have came out two years ago, he was projected as a fourth, fifth round pick, even though he yeah. had all that talent around him. The same talent, and he came back the next year and exploded. So I think JT Dane has the talent. Uh, I think he has the talent in with himself. I think he has the overall talent with his teammates to go in and be a forty touchdown, uh, five thousand yard pass. Uh, will we throw it that much? Uh, I don't know, but now you got to look at it as a Evaluate. You have to look at his skill set. Can he make all the throws? Can he process information? Um, I, I think he can. I think he can. I think one knock is going to be in today's game in quarterback. They want quarterbacks now who can move. I think Mac Jones got yeah. knocked a little bit uh, because you know he wasn't that four or five guy that uh, teams are looking for now. So I think uh, JT is probably going to get that same uh, question mark with him next year. Can he move? How athletic? Is he? Uh, but just the one, the football, he really just got to show improvement. He really got to have some of the numbers. Don't have to have the guarding numbers of Joe Burrow with 60 touchdowns. That's just amazing. Uh, but he has to have an eye-popping eye season to, I guess, garner and warrant a first-round pick, which I think he can. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, really well said. When we talk about the wide receiver spot, especially complicated by the George Pickens injury, the one thing I keep coming back to, Terrence, is these – you know, national championship teams have had multiple receivers with the big season. Now, Devontae Smith is a little bit of an outlier because Jalen Waddle eventually got hurt, but really John Metchie's a good receiver too. But the point is, you know, LSU has Jefferson and Chase in 2019. You know, Clemson has T. Higgins and Justin Ross in 2018. Alabama had a whole host of receivers in 2017 that when you look at Georgia here in 2021, it's not just one receiver playing at kind of a, a George Pickens-like level or a you know a first-round draft pick type level you really need multiple guys to do that, and there are I would say plenty of candidates to do that. We just don't quite know who those names are yet, right? Right, right. I, I, but I do think that that room is is very talented. I mean, if you see some of the social media catches these guys made these last few days, you can see the talent yeah. there. And I just think that room is loaded. I think that room. Uh, even minus George Pickett, I think is very talented with Justin Robson, with 
AD with Jermaine Burton with uh, even Dominic Blaylock. I think is once he's healthy, um, he's another talented receiver. So the lack of talent is is definitely uh, not is there in that room. They do have a lot of talent. So um, I project that those guys going out um, stand healthy. JT stand healthy to go and put up massive numbers. Is it going to be the numbers that those guys put up from Alabama LSU? Probably not. Uh, I don't think we're going to run that type of offense, but they're going to put up eye-popping numbers that all those guys will have six, seven, eight, six, seven or 800 yards uh, amongst themselves, and that's what will be a good season. I want to finish with this. I uh, played some audio of your brother before you came on the show when he was on a couple of weeks ago talking about the depth of the Georgia running backs between Zamir and Cook, the two veterans, and obviously what Kendall Milton has a chance to do. And, of course, you know, Kenny McIntosh when he's back healthy and Dejon Edwards there as well. And, you know, for some Georgia fans, they don't quite see that same superstar-level player that you once had with the DeAndre Swift or certainly years ago Todd Gurley or Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle. But, Terrence, the point I tried to make earlier is, is that, you know, after Najee Harris freshman year in 2017, I don't know anyone thought he was going to be a first-round pick. He was considering transferring from Alabama. And after Clyde Edwards, he layers sophomore year at LSU in 2018, he hadn't come close to putting up the big numbers that he had put up there in his junior season. And kind of on and on you could go with some of this kind of stuff. And I'm not certainly guaranteeing anything like that's going to happen for any of the Georgia backs here right now. But we have seen guys emerge just in time before. And I think there's still reason to be optimistic about the Georgia running back situation. What do you think? Uh, I think that that group is very loaded and talented. So I'm going to give Zamir Wright uh, his flowers right now because I was a little hard on him last year not knowing that he was a little banged up. But once I saw him fully healthy, uh, you saw the vision. You saw the explosiveness. You saw the cut. Uh, Kendall Kendall Milton is the guy that I'm very excited about um, because he brings a little – a little bit of everything, a blend of speed, a blend of power, a blend of being able to catch the ball out the back. James Cook bring a different element. Kenny McIntosh bring a different element. So just depending on who's hyped that game, in my opinion, or who brings the uh, the better matchup. And you just think about two years ago when we played Alabama, I think in the SEC championship game, Sony was more effective than than, uh, than Chubb that game because mm-hmm. it bring a, a different type of element to that game and. Uh, Chubb down here running style uh, kind of match what Alabama was able to stop, but Sony shifting it and him being able to cut and make people miss uh, was more effective against Alabama defense that year. So whatever guy brings the, the best fit against that opponent is probably going to be the guy that gets the more opportunity. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, Terrence, great stuff as always. Appreciate you being here. Of course, you're doing great work, as you like to say, in the bubble there, getting that next generation of wide receivers uh, ready to go for uh, their upcoming high school season. Of course, college football and everything else beyond that there as well. For people who want to get in touch, how can they find out more about what you're doing? Uh, you can find me on all social media at Terrence Elwood's Wide Receiver Academy on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Terrence, great stuff. Thank you for being here, and we will look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So uh, good stuff there from Terrence Edwards, the great former Georgia wide receiver. And, you know, in, in talking about, you know, JT Daniels as, as uh, Edwards was, as I said before, you know, Terrence does his personal training. He calls it the bubble. That's the facility where he, where he trains in. And think about this for a moment. If you brought JT Daniels into the bubble, the you know, any just pick any football field you want to, and you bring Joe Burrow into that same thing, I mean, is there a measurable difference between Burrow and Daniels? Now, maybe there is, but when you watch Daniels throw the football, does it look different coming? 
out of his hand than it does Joe Burrow. I mean, I would suggest, as Terrence said, when you want to go back and watch Burrow when he left Ohio State, no one thought that he had the potential that he had. I mean, he was a good quarterback in 2018, and pretty clearly for LSU, giving them some quarterback play, some stability that position they had not had. But the idea that he would potentially go down as the you know the greatest single-season quarterback in SEC history, no one would have said that in 2018 there either. So what is the future holding for JT Daniels remains to be seen. Is it, as Jason McIntyre said, Fox Sports' uh, number one overall pick, or as I think it's Todd McShay from ESPN who currently doesn't have him in the first round at all. I mean, there's a wide range of possibilities here, but there's nothing with the exception of at one point in time, an injured knee, but we're now a couple of years removed from that. There's nothing about Daniel's situation from a talent perspective that ought to be holding him back. It really comes down to, you know, can Todd Munkin extract the most out of him? And can you build an offense around Daniels here at Georgia that that resembles what Mac Jones got to play in last year in Alabama and what Burrow played in the year before that in LSU? We've obviously talked about that a bunch, but that really is what it kind of comes down to. With all of that, that is kind of the final piece in all of this for, for Daniels and his college and NFL future, and obviously for Georgia with its national championship hopes there as well. We're going to roll through our SEC through here in a moment. Before that, though, I do want to honor today's five-star mom, courtesy of Kroger. As we head towards Mother's Day on Sunday, Kroger has been giving away these five-star moms here each and every day this week here on Dog Nation. And what a fun thing it is for me on Dog Nation Daily to be able to celebrate the stories of these mothers and the impact they're making in their families. And also just kind of cool to see some great sports moms there as well who enjoy, you know, shuttling their kids around to games, but also watching the dogs there as well. And a great example of that today, Becky DeArmond is our five-star mom today, uh, courtesy of Kroger. And what a great picture that is of uh, Becky and her uh, daughters there enjoying some time at a Georgia football game. I'm trying to tell from the from the periphery what what game that is. It's it's definitely a late season game because you got goats and jackets on. I, I can't quite tell which game that is, but uh, they're obviously having a really good time there, uh, doing some great things. And talk about a courageous fighter, Becky, two time cancer survivor. She's also had to take care of her own father while he's been going. Uh, uh, while she's been kind of going through her uh, treatment there, she's caretaker for her father there as well. That's just kind of, you know, selfless act she does, you know, taking really good care of her daughters, of course, there as well. Always available for them. She loves chihuahuas. She loves the Georgia Bulldogs, loves traveling to home and away games. Becky DeArmond is a perfect example of what a Kroger five-star mom is uh, all about. And certainly thanks to that and appreciate Jordan DeArmond uh, nominating her mom here there for that as well. So Becky DeArmond is our Kroger five-star mom for today. We'll have one more of those big winners coming up tomorrow. And of course, you can make your mom feel like a five-star and make her a big winner this weekend as well when you uh, check out our folks at Kroger, kroger.com slash Mother's Day website to go to, find out about the brunch recipes and all the gift cards, greeting cards, all the things to get ready for the big weekend. Kroger.com slash Mother's Day. They'll cover you on all of that. All right, here's something really interesting. And this is one of those things that we do every now and then. And I semi think this is unfair, but listen, you know, in the age we live in, there's no such thing as a local story anymore. And there's no such thing as private comments. So one of the great traditions in college football, and this doesn't happen much anymore, but it used to happen a lot is the coach kind of speaking in like the rubber chicken dinner type thing, closed door, boosters, fans, things like that. And there's a lot of, you know, big talk that goes on. And it used to be, you know, for coaches, you know, no harm, no foul, because no one really knew what you say in events like this. But now reporters kind of show up and they, they you know, are, are there. And some of this stuff kind of goes viral a little bit. So Jimbo Fisher, the latest on something like this, 
So he's speaking to some fans at a Booster Club event, and then the question that comes up from one of the fans is about Nick Saban retiring and, and A&M taking advantage of the situation when Nick Saban's no longer at Alabama. And Jimbo Fisher gets a big roar and a cheer from the crowd when he responds to this by saying, uh, we're going to beat his fill-in-the-blank while he's still there. Don't worry, Jimbo Fisher said. Big cheer comes up with all of that. And, of course, uh, there was a local reporter for A&M that kind of captured audio of this, shared it on Twitter. It goes viral after that. Now everybody's talking about it. Uh, Lane Kiffin even uh, putting it on Twitter like a few minutes ago. I don't have this tweet to show you, but even Kiffin himself talking about this, about uh, Jimbo Fisher saying he was going to beat Nick Saban's backside while he's still at Alabama. Kiffin says, here we go again, calling out the GOAT in the middle of another championship run. Uh, Lane Kiffin says, good luck to Alabama football that Jimbo Fisher's comment just went on the wall in the weight room there in Tuscaloosa. Now, listen, as I said before, I, this is Fisher trying to fire up his own fans. I don't know this ought to be treated as, you know, huge bulletin board level material, but Alabama will probably try to use this to its advantage. We'll see if this is remembered and talked about when these two teams get together. For someone like Jimbo Fisher, who's trying to quietly build something at Texas A&M, I'm sure he wishes this probably did not go viral, but it did. I don't think he meant anything you know, by this. He's just trying to stir up his fans, but this day and age, everything just kind of goes viral when it comes to something like that. By the way, speaking of Nick Saban, Saban was at the the Celebrity Pro-Am for the Senior Tour event in Birmingham yesterday and spoke to reporters briefly, and one of the things that came up, his feelings about the new name, image, and likeness laws that are starting to take shape. Of course, uh, Governor Brian Kemp has signed some of that here in Georgia. There was some controversy about what uh, Florida was going to do. Uh, they seem to have uh, kind of done an about-face on uh, an initial kind of pumping the brakes on the the previous news that they had made. Saban weighing in on all, all of this. I'm going to read you a quote here from Saban. I want you to tell me if you notice what it is that he doesn't say. This is Nick Saban about name image likeness. He says, I'm not sure anybody knows for sure the impact of the effect of it because we don't know for sure what the parameters and what the rules are. He says, look, I'm all for the players. This is Nick Saban talking. You know, my biggest concern is how do we manage this? How do we police it? And how do we make sure that it's fair for everybody? That's Nick Saban on the new name, image, and likeness laws. Now, think about the way that Saban talks about everything else in college football. Is Nick Saban ever interested in making things, quote-unquote, fair for everybody. But somehow when it comes to name, image, and likeness stuff here, he's worried about the playing field somehow being uneven and unlevel. And obviously what he's concerned there is that some states may be more aggressive with that than what Alabama's going to be. Although, based on what I've seen, the Alabama legislature has actually taken a pretty aggressive stance on giving players access to their name, image, likeness revenue right away as opposed to making them wait. But but we'll kind of see all that you know take shape. I guess what I'm saying is, to me, I read those quotes from Nick Saban as Saban being less than fully enthusiastic about this, as opposed to what somebody might say, which is, hey, we're going to try to enact name, image, likeness laws in our state that give us the best chance to be the most competitive and take advantage of this new opportunity. It almost seems like Saban is kind of tiptoeing into these waters. And maybe Saban's you know, feeling here, reflective of the way that a lot of people feel inside college football. But it's been kind of thought of, well, maybe name, image, likeness stuff is going to be a big advantage for the schools to, to you know, 
you know, recruit and get better access to players. And some state legislatures seem to think they're giving their their favorite schools a chance to do that. But Nick Saban doesn't quite seem to be taking him that way, and I think that's kind of interesting. One final SEC through story, T.J. Finley, LSU quarterback, who got a chance to start some games with the Tigers a year ago, but by the end of the year was kind of unseated by Max Johnson. Finley has now entered the transfer portal. This is not a surprise. Uh, LSU tried to wage kind of a four-headed you know, headed monster quarterback competition during the spring, but that kind of stuff never really works out. You see the writing on the wall there. If you're Finley, he's not the quarterback that's in favor right now. It is probably either going to be Johnson or uh, Miles Brennan, who you know lost part of last season to injury, but now coming back, looks like it's a little bit of a Johnson Brennan battle there in Baton Rouge, but not T.J. Finley. Finley enters the transfer portal and will make that your SEC through. And here on Dog Nation Daily, stick with me about one minute from right now. I've got a really fun reminder of something really cool that's going to happen tomorrow. I'll tell you about that coming up about a minute from now. But before we do that. Uh, let me mention this about Georgia on the way out the door here. So uh, Chip Patterson, CBSSports.com, has an updated preseason top 25 on the heels of spring practice. And Georgia now comes in at fifth on this list after being seven in the previous iteration of this from CBSSports.com. If you care, Georgia ranked behind Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson, and the defending national champion Alabama at the top. Now, you may think that fifth is too low for Georgia, and you may laugh at the idea that Georgia was eventually seventh. And I understand all of that, but put that aside for a moment. Here is the thing that stories like this, as insignificant as they might be, here's the thing that they ought to remind us about when it comes to Georgia for this upcoming season. If you want to go back to very near the start of spring practice, when the George Pickens injury first occurred, there were a lot of Georgia fans at the time, and it's easy to understand the emotion of this in that moment, who thought the Georgia season was essentially over. But now you have a guy like Chip Patterson who covers college football closely, knows the Georgia situation well, and he says, even in spite of the George Pickens injury, I still like Georgia at the end of spring better than I did before the start of the spring. And Mark Schlebaugh said the same thing for ESPN.com. We talked about that yesterday. So don't disregard that too quickly, that for Georgia, sustaining one of the worst injuries she can during a spring practice, and yet the overall feeling about the dogs after spring by CBS, by ESPN, and a lot of media folks, all in all, is still pretty positive. Okay, so tomorrow, we are going to make a very fun announcement here on this program. We're also going to do it from a very special location, Dog Nation Daily, on the road tomorrow. Uh, that's going to be really cool. A big announcement about a fun event. A lot of folks have been asking, BA, are you going to do any kind of like Dog Nation Days of Summer type stuff here this year? Are you going to have any kind of events? We have not had a public event under the banner of Dog Nation since prior to March of last year. Many of you are very well aware of that. That is about to change. Tomorrow, I'm going to tell you all about it. This is going to be a uh, ton of fun. Cannot wait for that. Also, let me uh, invite you to please send your submissions to uh, us here for the Golden Shoe. Hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. Go to, uh, you know, just that's probably the best way to do it all the way around. Do that there. Subscribe to YouTube if you haven't. And, of course, we'll see you tomorrow here on the uh, program. Gator Hater Countdown on the way out the door right here. How about 177 days? That's when George is going to be floored again. We'll see you tomorrow Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. You can find them online at rsandrews.com. They will take care of you for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Got a really interesting collection of responses to what's been going on here around Dog Nation as of late. Some of this coming in via the comment section there, dognation.com. And 
you know, for those of you that, that listen via one of the podcast players like Apple, Google, something like that, if you want to share a comment, you can go into the podcast post that we do at dognation.com. A lot of you don't actually go to the podcast post because you access the podcast a different way. But if you want to share your comment, that's a place that you can go to do so. Or you can just hit me up on Twitter at dognationdaily. That's fairly easy to do there as well. A couple of this I want to get to. Uh, Dr. James uh, Maruthi uh, shared this with me, and I think this is really interesting. So we talked about, I think it was with Connor on Tuesday's show, and I hope that I have a fairly good reputation with this kind of stuff. I'm not one of these guys who's like, you know, the announcers hate my team. I, I don't do a lot of that and try not to ever do too much of that because sometimes that kind of feels like a tired conversation. It feels like that kind of stuff gets get a little bit played out. But I did feel like that for whatever reason, I just felt like there was a lot of negativity around the Georgia draft picks when they were taken in last week's NFL draft. And uh, Dr. Maruthi shared this. I think it's really interesting that uh, – he says, uh, no wonder that Mel Kuyper uh, were not too amused about the dogs getting drafted. He shares a story from USA Today about the fact that Mel Kuyper's you know, mock draft was essentially poorly reflective of the actual draft picks themselves. I think he only got, I think, less than a half dozen picks right or something along those lines. And so some of what Kuyper was critis- critical of was the fact that those players weren't, be- weren't being selected where he thought they should be. Now, I guess on the one hand, you'll – you know, I guess congratulate him for some consistency. If that's what he thought before the draft, then why not stick with that opinion during the draft? But it also kind of comes across as a little bit self-serving to a lot of people that, you know, if the only thing that you're interested in discussing is your own opinion about these players, then maybe you're a little bit more self-absorbed than you should be in a situation like that. So uh, so uh, Dr. Maruthi may be right about this, that <laughs> that maybe some of Kuiper's negativity was just on the basis of the fact that he wasn't ha- having a very good draft in terms of where players landed. And Y'all watch this, and I don't know if this is one of those things that's just kind of more obvious to me because I'm a you know media person or or what. Kind of even when I was a child, I've always been a fairly media obsessed person. But the quiet little rivalry that exists between, like, say, Mel Kiper and Todd McShay is pretty interesting. I don't think you have to go to the far reaches of your imagination very much to probably assume that Kuiper and McShay don't like each other very much. And I'm sure Kuiper's like, why are you bring along this McShay kid, who's really not so much a kid anymore, but when he first kind of got going was a lot younger. Why are you bringing along this guy to do all this stuff when I essentially already do the same kind of thing? <laughs> so my guess is that Kuiper and McShay probably have a little bit of a quiet rivalry there, and that may be at the heart of some of this kind of stuff. Uh, Seth Rhodes, who was our Golden Shoe winner the other day, uh, he, he gave me the Star Wars uh, edit thing for uh, that. And he says, perks of being a big nerd, getting a shout out from Dog Nation Daily for wishing the presenter a happy Star Wars Day. Yeah, listen, I love Star Wars, love May the 4th. Uh, I like all that kind of stuff. I've been watching The Mandalorian. I don't get to watch as much TV as I'd like to sometimes. So I know The Mandalorian's been out for a while. I'm only just now about to conclude season two not quite done with that yet I, I just can't even believe how good Mandalorian is and, and such a refreshing breath of fe- you know breath of fresh air for Star Wars fans just to see these Star Wars storylines beloved characters kind of reintroduced in some respects new characters also introduced there as well it's like if you can do this for a TV show you know, why couldn't you just make all the movies good? That's like the one thing that I'm kind of amazed with is that Mandalorian is so good in comparison to some of the recent movies, which frankly probably were not my favorites. So, uh, yeah, I I love Star Wars, and I was happy to get a little Star Wars-themed tweet the other day. And Georgia on tap sent this to me on Twitter. And I should probably share this. This is pretty amazing. So uh, (laughs) 
Georgia on tap has some critical things to say about uh, Florida here. And this comes from a pick six previews tweet. So in 1971, there's video of this. Florida was leading Miami 45 to eight. And the Florida defense flopped to get the ball back quicker to help break an NCAA passing record. And then Georgia, and then Florida celebrated after all this by jumping to the Orange Bowl fountain. Boy, that does not seem like the classiest thing that one could do there. But uh, that is what Florida did apparently back in 1971. And yeah, as George on tap eloquently points out in his tweet that some things around Florida never seem to change. Pretty good stuff all the way around. Uh, what else? Uh, Kyle mentioning, and we're going to talk about this more, the Athlon list of the potential Georgia players who could be first-round picks, kind of mirroring what we do a little bit on the show here. So we're going to do that probably in the days ahead. Kyle sharing that on Twitter. And then Duke Duke in our comment section of DogNation.com says, first of all, that really thinks the podcast cooldown is a great addition to the show, and I'm really happy to hear that. He says you should never worry about going too long on our behalf. So that's nice to hear from Duke Duke. He also asked this, and this is a good question. He asked, I know you've been crunching the numbers to get statistical indicators for what a playoff caliber team should look like the next year, but in my opinion, he says, and this is really interesting, the best indicator of productive season to come back is the fact that so many of our quality guys came back for a final season because they believe they can really make it happen in 2021. I think that's exactly right. I think that's very well said, and it kind of mirrors something I talk about sometimes about how I believe the recruits are oftentimes the first to know if a program's turning in the good direction or the bad direction. I think the best example of this is, is that so much of the Georgia momentum of like the 2017 class that was number three overall and some early work for the 2018 class that eventually became number one overall. So much of this happened before Georgia had the big breakout year on the field in the fall of 2017. Think about this now. The number three recruiting class for Georgia in the, you know, the winter of, uh, of 2017 took place after an eight and five season. But it was still, at the time, the best class that Georgia had ever signed. Those recruits were invited to be on the inside, the inner workings of a program. They just felt like something was going to happen here at Georgia. It was worth them getting involved in. And lo and behold, you see the results, how that played out on the field there in 2017. And the same thing for like Chubb and Michelle and Lorenzo Carter and the guys that came back after the 2016 season. It is very easy to forget there was not a lot of positivity around Georgia in 2016. There just wasn't. Um, I mean, I can tell you from doing Dog Nation Daily as a podcast back then, I can tell you that, I mean, there were a lot of just doubters. There was just a lot of, you know, same old Georgia, you know, Kirby Smart. I mean, Smart was, look, I mean, people were not as just like, over the moon in love with Smart after he lost to Vanderbilt and lost to Tennessee and lost to Georgia Tech and got beat by Florida. You know, it's not like Smart was walking on water and all the excitement of the like the 93K day for the 2016 G-Day and all that kind of stuff, that had, that had receded into, into the memory. And yet the players on the inside, the Chubbs, the Michelles, the people like that, they knew that there was a chance that it could be a special season. And so I think that Duke Duke is potentially right here that – when you had guys who could have gone to the NFL, choose to stay, it is fairly easy to assume, well, maybe they're staying for a reason. And so I, I think that's good stuff from Duke Duke all the way around. And I love your comments. Thank you for sharing them at dognation.com and our Dog Nation Daily show post or for me on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. We appreciate you being a part of our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down Today. Check out R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com. Hope you all have a great day, and I'll see you back here again tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody.